Yeah. Oh, hello and welcome <laughs> to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> Are we ever ready for yeah, this? We're ready now. Um, yeah, my name's Scott, and I'm with uh, two friends, two fire family friends. Super friends. <laughs> I got Todd. Hey, oh how's it going? And Ash. Hi. Okay, uh, what do we got for news there, fellas? <laughs> <laughs> Super friends. <laughs> Super friends. Uh, well, kind of was fire department. Yeah. 22 hours of uh, working fire there on mm. a dump fire. Yeah, it so sounds, uh, yeah, when you hear 22-hour fire, it sounds awesome, but I know. turns out it was a dump. <laughs> the dump was on yeah. fire. And the first thing I thought of when I saw the uh, news <laughs> footage was the Simpsons tire fire. Yeah. Just because yeah. it was this big, round, perfect circle. <laughs> Just burned through burning months or years. <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, obviously, what makes it a challenge for that is, well, it's rarely is there going to be a hydrant near a dump. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, usually the dump is out <laughs> in the middle of nowhere because it's a dump. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you don't want it in the middle of your town. <laughs> so, obviously, water was a concern or issue. Um, so, I guess they had some tenders. Um, it sounds like at first they might have not had tenders available right away. Mm-hmm. From the initial uh, report I read, um, mainly because it's a large city department. And I, I guess a lot of the large city departments wouldn't necessarily have tenders kicking around. I think like, depends, easily, like as much as we what are. they have for their outlying areas because right. they're very yeah. they're fairly stretched out to that valley yeah mm-hmm. so maybe they did and maybe just uh, initially maybe those reports were false yeah <clears throat> um so yeah it's 22 hours it's a, a fair chunk mm-hmm. um but those i mean we fought piles of garbage and stuff before um do you remember years ago that uh it's like a sawdust pile remember that sawdust okay. pile was that? yeah north yeah. of town and, chips. yeah that was like one of my first fires that goes on with you and yeah it, chip uh, again all night long like someone arsoned it and we had uh, we had a loader come out and just kind of rip it apart and we were sitting there hosing it down and rip it apart a little bit more hose it down and that's right and that's the other thing looking at the size of this uh, <clears throat> this scrap pile uh, so it's all fr- old fridges and stoves and God knows what right right um, and it was massive so however much water you're pouring onto it well yeah. it's those pieces of scrap metal so it's going to be deflecting and running every different direction as it starts pooling mm-hmm. and running down so. Um, I'm assuming that they would have to get some heavy machinery in there and start throwing it around as well. Yeah. And it's obviously going to be toxic, very toxic smoke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a fun time. No, exactly. I mm-hmm. mean, they were, uh, where the plume of smoke was heading towards uh, certain subdivisions. They were giving yeah. shelter in place orders as well yeah. for that just because of the toxicity of it. And just imagine being the person affected, right? A 22 hour shelter in place because of the toxic smoke. That mm-hmm. would be fun. Although Camelops does have a pulp mill and it kind of smells really. So. <laughs> <laughs> no love from Camelops. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, <laughs> we ran along with another giant fire, is uh, what we're, we're deeming the massive Oprah fire. <laughs> so, um, and I don't think it was Santa Fe. Was it not Los Angeles? Uh, I think it was on the corner of Santa Fe and Compton, wasn't it? Something like that. I just read on the article. It was, uh, it was the corner of Santa yeah. Fe, yeah. So I, I think it was in the middle of uh, Los Angeles, it sounds like. Hmm. Um, yeah, anyways, if you want to look that up or not. Um, it was uh, started as a pallet factory pallet or factory, pallet yeah. something. Um, fire started there, quickly spread. Unfortunately, right next door was uh, looked like a bus depot. Right. Um, and I don't think it was like a bus station. It was looked like because there was like school buses there. There was like 
concert like tour a, buses or a repair like, facility or uh, everywhere too yeah, burning yeah. yeah so at one point in the video we shared on our facebook was uh like 10 or 12 buses were burning mm-hmm. like and that's why we're calling the open fire you get a bus you get a bus you get a bus <laughs> <laughs> everything burning so yeah, in Compton, uh, near Santa Fe and Banning Avenue. I should read the full sentence. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just too amazed at all the buses on fire. Yeah, so quite a massive area, like a huge block was burning. Um, it sounds like the fire department did a good job uh, saving a bunch of uh, residential structures. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a lot of towers, a lot of ladder, like tower, like ladder trucks were up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of water. Yeah, again, it looks like access to even like that was probably the most challenging because everything was on fire and uh like we've got our our pallets over at our training grounds and i'm like "Ah, there's gonna be some shithead that's gonna come in here and light these things on fire one day and it's gonna be a disaster but we got water and access and blah 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 it's just gonna be annoying this was like 20 30 foot stacks of pallets i don't know how many deep and there was silos there for something. There was, yeah, yeah, yeah there's buses that were going up everywhere. And yeah. again, access was just terrible. So, yeah, it was uh, ladder trucks up. And, and they were, you know, trying to hit it with uh, with as much aerial support as possible. And, yeah. I mean, obviously they ended up getting it out. But pretty crazy video. One thing we used to get, we haven't got one in a long, long time, was uh, remember the bins? So we have uh, the packing house here. Uh, oh, yeah. Large yeah. wooden orchard bins. Um, and they're stacked pretty high right. like like they're nested together so there's uh what is there four three to four bins three. yeah and then um they're stacked like six seven high probably i don't know even higher oh even higher than that uh, probably yeah so it's about a what a 50 foot stack yeah i'm thinking yeah and then massive like big area and i remember for a while there i wasn't on the department then but there was uh a couple of people i think were lighting them yeah every once yeah. in a while someone would light one of those things up and um They've started. They've stored them now more, a little bit more separate. But at one point, they were storing them in huge, a huge, uh, mm. just one big. Pile. There's no breaks between yeah. them. It's right. just uh, one consistent, like you know, three hundred feet, four hundred feet. So I, I heard that. Um, I think it was Spencer's dad was when he was still on the department. He, he was saying that because he's a quite a good forklift driver. So I guess he got a forklift that was just like quickly <laughs> peeling these bins away, trying to <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to make a fire break. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good point. Yeah, when you see them now, they're always stacked in smaller piles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for that reason, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those are some big ones, big fires. Yeah. Yeah. Those are pain in the ass too, because you know it's just plywood, thin sheets of plywood, yeah. right? So as it burns, it becomes even more structurally intact, and now you got to think about that collapse zone as well for while sure. we're dealing with it. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so there's pretty good fires, really. Yeah. Um, not for us, but. Right. Others, um, Oprah fire. You get a bus, and you get a bus. <laughs> Love it. Um, one thing I want to talk about tonight is there on uh, on the on the uh, Facebooks, not on our page, but on another page. Um, there was a video of some guys, and I'm we're guessing Europe because of the helmets, yeah, and of the door, the doors on the building, the cars. Yeah, yeah the, right. the blue, yeah. the blue traffic cone, the cars. I think the, I we I couldn't see the license plates, but you know the car designs, oh. and and the fire tactics they were using. So there's a video of these of two guys. They were pushing a fairly small hose uh, in a like a parking lot or something. Yeah. Um, and they were doing like kind of a knee shuffle thing, and they were shooting um, like a high pressure stream 
into the air into a cloud, like a cloud of mm-hmm. high pressure uh, fog. Then they go another five, six feet, high pressure fog, another five, six feet, high pressure fog. And then when they hit the cone, they were doing uh, another fog, I think, and a little bit of a straight stream kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's a training thing. It's not a not an, not an actual attack, but it's a, it's a training thing. So it's like watching somebody do a, a knee shuffle, a knee slide. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the problem is everyone's watching. Like, there are a lot of comments that were rolling in were like, like, I hope this is a joke. Like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, like, you know, there's all these little gifts mm-hmm. and stuff. And, um, you know, I wrote down like, well, and I'd like to see actually how effective this is in the structure. And, I, and when I wrote it, I, or when I typed my message, I couldn't remember what that technique was called. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually our friend Marshall Bass, he saw my comment and he, uh, he commented, it's, it's, th- it's 3D gas cooling is what that's known. And then as soon as he said it, I was like, right. Um, so, Todd, do you have any information on that? Yeah, so just looking, there's a there's a really good article, actually, that talks a lot about it on uh, firehouse.com. Uh, it's a 2018 article. So they really discuss uh, just kind of understanding the gas exchanges in, in the gas cooling um, with that high pressure line and stuff. Um, and, yeah, it's a fairly in-depth. Yeah, it's long, yeah, lengthy article. article. I mean, it's like it's like anything, and this is the problem when you, you see these long, you know, what do you call them? I guess uh, type <laughs> keyboard warrior, right? Just yeah, yeah, firing sure. back quick yeah. comments. You know, they don't understand the whole concept of like it. the science that like, goes behind it. Right? There's a lot of science behind this. There's a lot of methods, and it makes very clear. It, it talks about misconceptions of it. Um, you know, it's a it's a gas cooling. It's not an extinguishing technique, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas reading some of those comments, it's clearly people thinking that that's what they're using it for yeah. as, as right. extinguishing techniques. And um, the other thing is that it's a it's a huge learning curve um, that requires practice to result. You know, effective techniques in this specific type of, of cooling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like we're just grabbing our calming nozzles and we're going in there and, and we're hitting it with a fog pattern. Because we yeah. all know with that, with those water droplet sizes and everything else, we're going to create a lot of steam. Right. Whereas yeah. this is a completely different system. Right. There's a methodology behind it. You know, yeah. yeah. But. Yeah. And, you know, it goes getting to me. It was people, they're just not open to any new ideas. And, you know, like we always make fun of this fire service. Like, was it a thousand years of tradition? No, I forget what there's a there's a statement. What is the statement again? Oh, it essentially means like they never want to, they never want to change, because mm-hmm. like, they're they're always like they're always gonna stay the way they are. And if anyone brings anything new in, it's like. But at the same time, like if if we stayed the way we always were, we we'd be riding horses and hucking buckets of water at the thing, <laughs> <laughs> and fighting yeah. uh, fighting the neighbor departments for uh, for funding, <laughs> like literally fist fighting like in New York. <laughs> Yeah, so like I think we could take most of your department. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like so just for one little shout over here towards this specific technique, you know, like gas cooling is is very important and not to be confused with indirect attack. Um within the indirect attack rather. So an indirect attack means that the you're gonna completely fill a room by steam by hitting as much hot surfaces as possible. Consequently, this is going to add a massive amount of thermal blast, resulting in decreasing the fire, as we're talking about, like, steam killing yeah, steam fire, right? Yeah. Um, so gas cooling implies that a coordinated water application is aimed at cooling and diluting <clears throat> that gas layer without creating excess steam. 
<clears throat> so this is going to result in your controlled environment as the team moves towards that fire room. Yep. And mm-hmm. there's uh, there's some images on here as well. It shows you the technique and the time frame of these short bursts, uh, how to suppress that yep. and move forward to the extinguishment room. You know, that's one thing, I, and I'm trying to I keep, when we do live fire, I keep got to remind myself to remind the guys of, because um, in a burn building, it's hard, because burn building is fairly controlled. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking for fire when we're in a burn building, because it's fairly clean smoke, and, you know, we try to make it smoky, but really the smoke that's coming out isn't super heated or anything like that. Sure. But in a structure fire, a real fire, a lot of heated smoke. And so we should be actually doing more short bursts into the... Uh, into that smoke layer uh-huh. because that could easily turn into a you know into a flashover into yeah. you know because it, it's gonna be it's that's very hot superheated smoke uh-huh. so we want to be hitting that smoke as we're moving in um there's kind of like hey wait until you see the fire before you hit the, hit it with water that you know that's that's like pretty old school tactics yeah. um and it maybe was tactics that worked 20 years ago when there wasn't these superheated clouds of uh, gases from all the um, unburnt material that's coming towards you, mm-hmm. um, as there is now with the uh, you know, couches and things we have. So, yeah, this this three D gas cooling thing. I don't. I'm still not sure what the three D is. <laughs> so, so there's uh, there's just another quick little comment here. Uh, I'm going to read from the uh, from the article. Um, we were chatting about this actually just prior to the podcast that it's a very European based yeah. kind of method of, of, of extinguishment <clears throat> um, and cooling technique. So, so this one, uh, because European gas cooling applies a controlled application of water, typically there is relatively little water used. Um, the average residential fire does not require large amounts of water, as we all know, uh, and neither does the gas cooling. So in Europe, it's very common that the engines have a smaller internal tanks, you know, kind of 250 gallons. Um, the operational advantage of this is that they only use as much water as required and that tank of water lasts a lot longer. So for many stations, this means that the second arriving engine generally establishes the water supply. Uh, this way the attack crew can be put into action as fast as possible while additional crew members simultaneously start their search and rescue operations. Uh, because every fire is different, it is up to the crew commander to decide uh, if immediate water supply is required. So again, reading this, you know, this may not be the go-to technique, but it's a technique to use. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my only thought is like, it, it seems like it's a different, it's obviously a different hose. Yeah, smaller diameter hose. It looks like about a one inch line. Yeah, different uh, nozzle. Definitely different nozzle. Yeah, high pressure. It's got to be yeah. high pressure. So if yeah. it's not used for extinguishing, mm-hmm. but used for cooling, do you pull another hose in with you to extinguish? Nope. No, so the techniques they're showing here um, is basically you'll work your uh, your advancement, um, giving those several bursts, uh, cooling those gas layers as you advance to that room right. of origin, and then you're going to that's when you can chain your stream and actually distinct, uh, extinguish mm-hmm. it if you can't steam kill it. Yeah, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There, there's a whole ton of the, to this article, and there's a whole lot more to these techniques. Um, yeah, I like how there's like a 30-page article on it on Firehouse Magazine and uh, a couple of twits on the uh, Facebooks are like, nah. yeah, good luck. Debunked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This better be a joke. Yeah. I mean, that's just it though, right? Like, you know, we always comment that uh, what what we do isn't the best and, you know, we don't know everything. We, like, we don't even know, like, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that 
isn't brand new. Obviously, that article is back in 2018. Um, but hey, if it's another tool for the toolbox, if it's something that you can, you know, learn, try to get as much of the info as you can, and then try to implement it in training and get that positive field experience, that's yeah. that's what you're looking for. Um, I mean, we're not set up with the gear that we have to to put that into play, but I would be super interested to see, um, you know, or, or at least learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as firefighters, our, our normal techniques, you know, we know that, you know, if you accidentally open up your nozzle and it's in a fog pattern, hell yeah, you're going to you know, cause a lot of problems. You're going to disturb everything. And that steam is going to push down you and, and you're going to feel it. You're going to get burnt. However, again, this is a different nozzle. It's a different water application. Mm-hmm. It's a different volume of water being produced. For sure. Um, and that's the key thing. Like there's the amount of water that's going to displace and expand into steam. You know, it's going to be so much different from that specific nozzle to the typical combination ones that we're using. Mm-hmm. Well, plus there's stuff you can learn from this gas cooling that we could also employ in our... Mm-hmm. Even if we don't have the right nozzle, we don't have the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're in the door frame and we have some thermal protection, we can, you know, again, that's that's basically a steam kill. Yeah. But understanding how we're, how that cooling mechanism is working. Um, and if you have the right ventilation, like, cause we, you know, we've, we've done this before. We've opened up a, a large um, vent in the back of the structure and, uh, and basically just open the bale and run it on fog just to see what yeah. happened. And you know that yeah, we get a we get a rollback of steam, of course, because now you're expanding, you know. But as it's rolling back towards us, we have that protection line set up, that's right. And it's protecting us, and it's pushing out the way mm-hmm. we want it out that out that ventilation. Yeah. So are we going to always use that? No. Are we going to maybe use it inside a you know in a garage? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Like we're in you know you go into a, a an attached garage and you go and pushing from the house and now you open the garage doors from the back maybe open your open your bale up on full fog and mm-hmm. blast all that heat and gas up the up oh. the back end. That's right. I don't know. There's times where you can use this stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and again, it's the it's the whatever tool you're using. Like they've been using these types of uh, high pressure systems for a long time, whereas it is not a common procedure for us up no. in North America to be running a high pressure. Mm-hmm. One inch line, right? Like yeah. it's totally different. Yeah. There's a really interesting little uh, paragraph here I want to read, um, just to put a little bit of a picture in people's minds here when we're talking about the water and the steam. So, because steam is introduced into the smoke layer, um, one of the misconceptions exists that the overall volume of this layer will, layer will increase. So, for example, one liter of water turns into 1,700 liters mm. um, of steam at 100 degrees Celsius. So there's a fair amount of steam added to the mixture. However, the cooled gases also contract, and in theory, the cooled smoke-steam mixture has a smaller volume, even though an, an extra gas is introduced. So right. because of an area of the room remains equal, uh, this would imply that the smoke layer would rise in heat in height. Sorry, uh, and in, in practice, this contraction, I guess, will <laughs> it actually. Yeah, it has a... Uh, like it contracts. Yeah, it mm-hmm. just contracts. So it's a lot of science there, Todd. None, I know, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Nonetheless, the conditions, you know, they're not going to worsen, um, right. contrary to what we'll believe, right? Especially, like, this is a quick, like, literally, this isn't even a half-second bail. Like, this is like... Oh, yeah. Like, it's like... Fractions. Yeah. 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 Fractions of a second, like... 
like it's, it looks like a sprinkler. Well, what um, if that one video was like 30, 30 uh, yeah. mail applications within uh, multiple pulses? Yeah, yeah, like a, a yeah. minute, and they were advancing, and then they yeah. they got to a fire room, and they're it's, yeah, yeah, as fast as you can open and close that bail. You know, it was interesting. Uh, one of the ones I was watching, they had uh, the, a dead man uh, like um, nozzle, mm. which is essentially what we have on our forestry nozzle. That's right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it only works when you're just pressing the, the, mm-hmm. the trigger, and then as soon as you release, it turns off. It's off, yeah. So that got me to thinking, and we were just talking about this before the podcast, on our duty truck in the summertime, we have this bush mount, or this mounted um, mm-hmm. um, first out, or yeah. the thing that uh, Munkoff makes. The high pressure, yeah, high pressure, low volume on our, on our, bush, on our truck, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Just happens to be our duty truck. So if we're rolling up to a... To a fire, could we do external water application through the window? A couple, bunch of quick bursts just to slow again, to slow that fire clock. Be very similar to a, I mean, it's basically a transitional attack. That's right. Similar mm-hmm. to what we're watching here in these videos. And that would be easy to that'd be easy to recreate demo. in our one burn building. Yes. Um, you know, we, we have a fire room. We could have the Swede rolling, yeah. um, but we do have a uh, a window that's close to the uh, seat of the fire. Mm-hmm. You can. Invent that. Yeah. Put a couple of quick steam shots in there. Yeah, be uh, really interesting to see what that. Because uh, it like much water. Would, no, and no, it's funny because it watch like listen to these comments. Um, you know, and then you look at these guys, and you know, they're you know they, there's a lot of like eagles and no offense to the Americans, but a lot of them, there's a lot of um, guys with big nozzles and stuff on their trucks. Mm-hmm. And but when you look at like New York, what's one of the things they take into an apartment fire with them? Water can. Yeah. Yeah. So they fight a lot of fires with just a water can. Mm-hmm. So to laugh at these guys just spraying a little bit of water using a you know a different technique. Well, you're fighting a fire with a water can. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I know I get it. It's not you're not fighting a massive structure fire. You're you're fighting room and contents fire. But it's there's a lot of water in one of those, and a lot of, you can do a yeah. lot of work with those. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that I think that's the key thing is is you know depending on what type of fire attack you're you're pushing through, and again I mean, in in Europe they've been using this technique. And these applications for so long, like we're actually <laughs> a little bit behind the curve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels like, right? Because we're always on big water, big nozzles, big smooth bores. Yeah. Like, put the fire up and yeah. we destroy your house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We saved it, except yeah. when you have a, you know, six feet deep swimming pool. Except your computer is floating by. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I agree with you, Scott. Like there's, you know, everybody's so quick to throw out some sharp little comments and just try and tear somebody apart. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, there's so much more to it. It really is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, moving along. Um, Todd, you had kind of an interesting call. Yeah. But I don't think we'll talk about the call itself. We'll talk about some of the um, takeaways, I think, mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. So, again, I think more on just, you know, talking about, um, you know, changing your mindset on mm-hmm. on. You know, not your your typical response, and always having multiple tools in your toolbox that we talk about to to adapt to. Um, that's the biggest thing on this event that we just responded to um, the other day. <clears throat> so we got sent uh, quite a ways out of our area, uh, up to a mountain, where there was going to be there's a, a impingement or a uh, somebody trapped. So with that, it wasn't your typical response where the fire department's going to be coming to aid us for auto extrication. So we end up having search and rescue paged and sent out as well with us. Um, they usually take quite a bit 
a time to mobilize and while we were already en route. Um, we had our helicopters en route, but we kind of figured they would get uh, turned around due to daylight and weather, which they did. Yeah, mountain, um, uh, mountain weather in the winter. Yeah, mountain <laughs> yeah, always fun. Mm-hmm. Just it, right? So the mountain weather, or, you know, we're up in, uh, in deep snow where this event was. And uh, yeah, though sure enough, the weather did come in on us. So uh, we kind of kind of figured we wouldn't have any, any heli support. Um, but with this one, it was quite challenging because... As I see, I was trying to run the logistics en route to the call with some of the information that we were getting. So um, I knew that if this person was truly um, entrapped in this piece of equipment, that you know this our local search and rescue agency isn't going to really have a lot of the tools that you know we're normally expecting to be extricating somebody with. Um, and knowing the area, I knew that you guys could be potentially respond right. as a fire service for the auto extrication. Mm-hmm. However, there'll be some outside of the box thinking as well with that, as far as packing tools out to the actual scene. Cause all of our Intel up to this point was, it was a little bit of a distance uh, into where this person was. Uh, that's in, why in deep snow in fairly deep snow, in, in snow as well. So yeah. that's why search and rescue was involved as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest roadblock we started finding on the phone and calling to our dispatch and getting the approval was that there was a lot of miscommunication on one whose area it was for the two departments, um, which that got sorted out fairly quickly. However, mm. the, the other big one was that the fire department was waiting for a PEP number, the provincial emergency program number for approval to respond, even though it's technically still your area. Right. Right. Um, so there's a big time delay for that. And then the other agency, the search and rescue agency, not making the call early enough to say, hey, yeah, we could potentially need some more support in this, some more help, and calling for the fire department. Because it was a very unusual call. It was. And let's make it clear right now. Even if we, there were the, it wouldn't have changed the outcome um, whether we went there or not. No, yeah, 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 good point. So, yeah, whether what, we were there or not, there would be the, the outcome. Yeah, would not the have outcome changed. of this event uh, yeah. would not have changed. Uh, the people who were involved did a great job of uh, of extricating him. And again, it's, it's very challenging with uh, some of the information we were getting. Um, however, we were painting the picture from what we had given to us. So we're trying to line up everything uh, right. as, as best we could. Yeah. Uh, so the outcome would not have changed no matter what. Um, but it just really made us think about a lot of this in our post-incident analysis, kind of discussing, you know, some of the roadblocks we started running into um, was the communication and the and this the other agency not making that call and not understanding that they could make that call easily right. for, for right. the support. That's the, I think that's the bigger thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's challenging because it seems very black and white, like, you know, like, if somebody needs assistance, if they're in a certain area, we should just be, be going automatically. Default, Absolutely. if we're not needed, as we get that more information, we can turn yeah. around those resources. Mm-hmm. But it takes so long to get those resources out to an outlying area. Yeah. That, that time could be the, the killer for the event, right? Well, and I think we had talked about some of this being uh, back to that centralized and decentralized command mm-hmm. where the one agency is very centralized. And they need a lot of manager and supervisor um, like oversight 
to do mm-hmm. to even start to roll versus us and you know most fire rescue is going to be we can be pretty decentralized especially in our training because mm-hmm. you know like literally at any point and we do this in our training like i think we always joke that time when i killed todd in training or mm-hmm. todd ash in training <laughs> um i didn't kill you i, I, I never kill anybody in training mm-hmm. um but you know i we, i brought ash down and i said no now mm-hmm. your officer's down and any one of our guys can step up and, and just whoever takes the lead first yeah. is, is, they take over so that's right um that's always how we train and that's how we think so really we don't need an officer on the truck we don't need someone that's like i'm a cat i got a red hat so i'm mm-hmm. you know we don't need that we they should be prepared to fill that position when needed that's yeah. right any yeah. one of our guys you know we're not gonna put a brand new guy and a brand new guy probably shouldn't sit in the front seat but mm-hmm. we can put a pretty much anyone that's been in here for a couple of years they have enough training to jump in that front seat and and take command until a higher level of command gets there that's right um so that's our side of the fence. Now, on the other side is there's a lot of, like, bureaucracy, and um, they have mm-hmm. to follow a lot of procedures. And mm-hmm. not saying we don't follow procedures. It's just you don't need a lot of command to run a scene like that. No. Because, really, you were there. You, We wouldn't be, you know, if we went up there, we're not going to be running the scene anyways. We're going to be going, because you're the first one there. Yeah. And, we, and obviously, you know, what you're, you know what you're talking about, even on our side of the fence. So we'd be like, we'd be... The, diverting to you a lot and you'd be like hey we can do this and then we'd just be doing our thing yeah which would be no, exactly it and i think that's the big thing like we're so used to the decentralized command mm. and even in in ems side of things for me uh, on this particular event like we just knew that that would be our role like we were we were chatting getting our pre-plan mm-hmm. our partner and i you know in the truck en route and okay well we, we realize we're going to lose our air resources quickly, so then we're going on to plan B yeah. for, you know, roading this person out, um, talking about the, the extrication, talking about the trip up to where he is, our yeah. gear, we're going to need to stay warm, you know, all these other things. <clears throat> you know, we had daylight against us, we had wind against us, um, the weather, um, all the above. So just thinking ahead and then knowing that there's this massive delay now for calling for you guys to come up as the fire service to do the extrication because you guys mm-hmm. have all the tools needed if we needed it at that at that moment you know our plan b was okay well what's what can we do in the meantime so yeah. we were going to go raid the shop the mechanic shop up there with the uh the crew and see what other piece of kind of equipment we could, yeah, we could bring sure. up there with us mm-hmm. um and unfortunately that shouldn't be our job you know we shouldn't right. have to be thinking about that and delegating other people in that in that work environment to mm-hmm. do that that's why there needs to be an emergency plan in place for sure so everybody's rolling not this massive delay waiting for that <clears throat> approval so coming from search rescue prior to coming over to the fire service um, I mean, I can speak. We, as a fire service, like Scott says, we are very decentralized. We we can step in, we can step up, and take care of pretty much any scenario. Um, you know, it it doesn't matter what what you know color hat you have, how many years of service, somebody is going to be able to you know step in and step up. Um, <clears throat> however, we also we operate in a very high risk management environment as well where the things that we are doing are i mean we are risking our lives in one way or another every single scene that we go to where more of a search and rescue side they are trying to mitigate putting anybody in risk 
at all times. Mm -hmm. So they are very focused on being out of risk. Like we always talk about, you know, it's us first, our equipment, and then you and your shit, right? Where it's like (laughs) you and your shit is so far down the line on the search and rescue side because they're so safety conscious. Um, And in that comes all of that centralized command because there has to be somebody looking after the overall scene safety Mm. and then a team lead looking after that individualized team safety. Um, And it definitely takes away from A, their response time, and B, allowing people to think outside the box or just think in general. Uh, they have to fall back and rely on all of their their training mm-hmm. and kind of again they're black and white. Is it because so, a lot of I'm just wondering because it, it, it sounds like like SAR in, in general is it because a lot of the SAR stuff is is kind of like usually it's not a large incident it's like one person is this happened to one person or, I believe so yeah that, you know this mm-hmm. happened or the person's lost in the mm-hmm. woods or mm-hmm. you know they've injured themselves it's not like uh, where we go. You know, a house is on fire, and there could be multiple people injured. Yeah. Plus, we have to watch the other house that's about to hit the fire. That's right. Plus, there's a gas line. Plus, there's electrical. Our um, scenes plus, are very plus, dynamic. Plus, plus. Yeah, everything yeah. changes, so we always have to be constantly on the go. Like, mm-hmm. our brains constantly have to be rolling. Whereas they're more like long-term emergency mm-hmm. over the you know the course mm-hmm. um, versus through the paramedics. The, through you know, the you guys change. Are, yeah. Yeah. For quick. Sure. Yeah. 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 They're definitely like a longer. Like they're going out there for a longer period of time, which you know they could be out there for days doing this so they do have to plan i guess further ahead whereas we know we're going to be whatever incident this is it's going to be over in 20 minutes like yeah we are part. we are yeah, in our yeah. coverage area unless we're with, dump fire in the cameras. with extra supply <laughs> yeah unless it's the tire fire in 2021 yeah. um, <laughs> we are going to be within our coverage area we are going to be 10 minutes or less away from any supply that we need coming from the fire hall or right. realistically anywhere in town as a on-call department yeah. we have access to Many, many things. Um, so, um, <clears throat> our preparedness level can be, like, we can jump and go a lot faster. Yeah. Because, like you say, we, we are in and out in 20 minutes. Um, but I think it also makes our mindset different. So for our sure mindset does, is, yeah. like, we can do, we'll just always think outside the box. Because we're always yeah. trying to, we're, the box is always on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're always yeah. trying to yeah. think outside that box. And um, it- and even when it comes down to like span of control for stuff, like for as is the commanders, right? Like, because we'll have like the optimum span of control is kind of five five things, right? Yeah. yeah. So then we have our, our truck officers who now they are in charge of that, or like we'll delegate off to our task mm-hmm. force. Yeah. And I think that's why. I don't know, I shouldn't say that's why, but I feel like it's it's one reason why we have the ability to adapt so quickly and, and that's right. Move for those very fast fluid. Yeah, because like looking at us. If we were in a long-term incident, I feel our possibly our decentralized command method might actually hinder us a bit. Because if it's a long-term mm-hmm. incident, we our planning, like our long-term planning, may not be there. Um, you know, that's why we bring in these um, other agencies to run our um, our um, command center. You know, yeah. there's other people start showing up and then they take over a major like then we have major command center set up uh-huh. versus like in these smaller incidents that we, are quick. we turn into a bunch of cats and be like hurting cats <laughs> yeah because we're we're so used I'm to bored. being yeah yeah we're so used to being like reacting to things yeah. that when it's time to okay everybody settle down now we're gonna we're gonna chunk off this hunk of this emergency and we're gonna deal with it mm-hmm. um, yeah and, and I guess you know we're looking at big wildfires that's where um that's where it's hard for you know structural companies to show up and be like 
we're going to do what now? We're just going to sit back and let the fire come to us? Mm-hmm. We're firefighters. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, well, and yeah, I think we're not firefighters. We're firefighters. Let's go yeah. fight some shit, right? So yeah. I guess looking at forestry is, mm-hmm. is a kind of an example of a, yeah. of a centralized command because they're, they're going in, mm-hmm. but they're also decentralized in the fact when they first get there, they can do a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, but over the long haul, these big what are they? Um, legacy fires, or I think they call them, campaign fires. They call them. Mm-hmm. Um, they will really kind of th- throttle back, and now mm-hmm. we're going to slow everything down, mm-hmm. and we're going to start bringing in heavy equipment and yeah. figuring out these things. So I wonder if that changes as these fires, like those type of events, build. Uh, I wonder if they're like when it's a rapid deployment. If it was something in you know somebody's district where yeah. a certain uh, team or company can get on scene early. It, I feel they would be very decentralized. Dynamic, where yeah. they're 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 going to go in there. They yeah, like three or four man teams, right? That's yeah, what they right? Have, right. Yeah, they're going to go, you know, jump off and and do whatever they can early. If uh, if this is going to keep on building, yeah, that's when they have to, like you say, back out, get that that big big picture and see yeah. like what part of this emergency is <clears throat> is most important to be attacking now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it, you know, it, I just found it very frustrating because knowing how we're wired as EMS rolling up to this. Yeah. You know, well, EMS, I think you guys are like you, you guys are even you guys are like the king of decentralized because you're only it's only like two of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's just it. Yeah. yeah. So you guys have to go for work like a lot of stuff you guys do, and you're by you're, you're yeah. basically there's no one else coming to help you. For at least a while. Right. So, no, exactly. Yeah, I always look at you guys going, oh, yeah, because you guys are always sorting your stuff out. There's no team coming. Like, we know we got 15, 20 other people coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's usually you two, and then maybe a couple more. Maybe. A, <laughs> and then maybe the fire department shows up to help. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and then with this, with the planning, and then when I was with, with you guys on the phone as well and talking to our dispatch trying to get you activated right away, yeah. um, it, again, it goes back to it's frustrating why you know, search and rescue can't make that call right away saying, yeah. hey, we're going to be delayed or, you know, yeah, this sounds like it might be a little bit out of our wheelhouse as far as extrication. Yeah. So, yeah, we need the fire department and we will work, you know, unified together to get to mm-hmm. the scene and then they will provide the extrication. And part then we will provide yeah. the transporter. Yeah, part of that could be some of our issue too. Like we maybe have never expressed to them that we are mm-hmm. able to do certain things. Like we Absolutely. are more portable than some people think. I really mm-hmm. tried to explain that. Yeah. So after this incident, I actually went and had a chat with one of the SAR managers locally here. And you know, I, I really tried to hammer out the fact that all of our um, all of our gear off of our one rescue uh, truck is completely portable. Mm-hmm. Now, it is still gas hydraulic, so like it's not battery portable, but it still comes off the truck and can be put yep. into and onto anything and transported anywhere. Yeah. So it's not like we have to respond with our big rescue truck to these that remote, right. yeah. that's not going no. anywhere close to this scene or a lot of other scenes where search and rescue is going to be responding to, but our other stuff is. Yeah, but even like particular to this scene, even like like we knew it was uh, a big piece of machinery that was mm-hmm. involved, so we know there's access. It's not like when you think of a search and rescue event. Oh, like the middle of nowhere. Packing things out, yeah, right? Sure. Or mm-hmm. breaking it down. Like, we can get access there. Um, <laughs> and more so even to just our response areas as the fire service. Like, yeah. we, we need that extra communication there to get those those tools there. Because, they, yeah, they, they don't, unfortunately, have 
a lot of the tools that we may need for a piece of heavy yeah, machinery for sure. to be dealing with something mm-hmm. like this. And nor, like, I don't think they should go start buying <laughs> tools. Because no, I don't you, think yeah. you need yeah, the training. There's, there's thing. so much mm-hmm. to it, right? Yeah. And the amount of times it would happen for them, it would be... Yeah. That's know, why we need to work together and they yeah. need to... Yeah. Yeah, they, they need to realize when, hey, we're going to need help with this yeah. and call it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I guess, you know, we had um, Miles from Teams on. Yeah. And they're definitely, that would be the, that would be the optimum. A, a team like that, a helicopter, Absolutely. Yeah. they have extrication tools on, they yeah. have, they're with high-level paramedics on there. Yeah. Um, they have a winch capability, like, that's... 100%, the, yeah. yeah. And that's why the logging companies and uh, those kind of people that are out in these... Yeah, a lot of the industrial companies are, are contracting them uh, for these events, right? It's part of their preparedness plans. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, again, like, the... This particular event, weather, definitely it mm. would have stopped any choppers. Mm-hmm. There's nothing coming in. Uh, we lost our daylight with the weather system move in uh, and the patient's condition. Um, it, it just wouldn't, nothing would have changed. We're just talking more about that pre-plan, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Planning ahead. And yeah, they're uh, having team around. That would have been a fantastic resource, right? Like, because yeah. you do have those extrication pieces of equipment with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking because we we've had a few strange eh, strange is the word we've had a few instances in the last couple of years. Uh, so we had this event. We had one, whatever it was, three three years ago, four four years ago. Um, another fire event that was just outside of our our fire district, still within our road rescue district. So anytime that we exit our fire protection district, we need a PEP number. So these numbers come out of um, the, the, our provincial, um, it's a provincial number that is given to us. And that basically green, green lights the funding and the liability insurance and all of yeah. that good, good stuff. And that's the big thing to hit on is the liability insurance. Now we're not just a group of five cowboys rolling up into the bush mm-hmm. um, with a whole bunch of expensive tools and we're coming to help, right? Because um, we've, we've been in that spot before where we've definitely wanted to go and help. But until this this number arrives, we physically can't go, yeah. um, and it's it's a struggle because you're sitting here and you're geared up and you're ready. Like we were geared and ready to rock, yeah. and we're like, mm-hmm. and you know, again in this particular incident, and even the one prior um, that I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. um, the outcome would have been exactly the same for better or worse. Um, but you know, you, we train to go and try to help out and do things yeah i wish and i wonder if um like these pap numbers they're given to search uh search and rescue teams to um wildland firefighters uh that are very centralized um where like we're over here like begging for it like come on give me the number let's make it happen it would be great and i mean this i doubt would, would ever happen if there was like a a um in good faith sort of idea that could come up where in an incident like this, you can respond in good faith and you have X amount of time, whatever it is, an mm-hmm. hour. Um, like a mutual aid agreement. Exactly. Almost, yeah. Right. With all of these other agencies like EHS and um, search and rescue and whatever else where they can phone directly and say, Hey, this is our PEP, PEP number. We believe that we need you 
activate us. We are rolling, and as time progresses, you know, 45 minutes, an hour rolls out, either we're going to be stood down because we weren't actually required, or we're on scene, we are required, and everything goes on through, so it's perfect. But that liability factor and the the funding and that whole blanket is is now covering us. Yeah, like I wonder if any uh, any pep numbers have ever been turned down. Right. Like, no, like, thank you. Like as a, as, a, <laughs> as a province ever went, nah, I don't think so. Cost right. so much. Like have they yeah. ever done that? I don't know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know what if they ever have. It's almost like we should have a um like a like a gift card. <laughs> right. <laughs> of pep numbers. Mm-hmm. Hey we're gonna uh, cash in this pep number today. Exactly. <laughs> Like we got ten pep you numbers guys get in the ten freebies bank. This year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're just in the bank, and we'll use them. We're like, yeah, there's our number. Can you yeah. give us another one later? Okay. Well, let's use up your five, and then we'll see how you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a pep allowance. Yeah. <laughs> if we're really good, we get five more. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it's it is a weird system that we have to wait for that. Mm-hmm. And and I get it. Like we, we've had these arguments before. Like um, you know, if a house is on fire outside of the area outside of our area because there's yeah. a few that are in the woods um mm-hmm. we aren't allowed to roll yeah um because it's out because it, you know mm-hmm. the people outside those areas aren't paying taxes in the fire department so they're not right. not paying for this for the service so why would they get it <laughs> and it That's sounds right, cold yeah. but yeah why why would they you know everyone else is paying those mm-hmm. people aren't they yeah. choose yeah. to live where they live um their yeah. fire insurance um definitely is high for yeah. that um but I, I, and I get why, why should we go out there? Mm-hmm. Um, but this pep number allows us, especially if it's like a forest fire that's heading towards the house, this pep number allows us to go out there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's hard because we've had these calls like, well, well, if there's a house on fire, we're going. No, we're not. Because no. <laughs> literally, like, now what if we're out there and there's a uh, fire in town? I think yeah. we've had this argument. I, I seem to remember Spencer and I having this argument on this that's podcast right. before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, ethically, it's super hard. But, yeah, it's hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we have a responsibility like these pieces of equipment and everything is purchased by the town and the taxpayers, you know, and mm-hmm. that's who we're, we're working for. Yeah. Um, and that's where other agencies or not other agencies, other areas create their own little societies yeah. and have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, they've made their own department that's strictly volunteer. They've fundraised for things. And, and that's kind of the, and the, the reason why I, an auto X is, uh, is allowed or an extrication is allowed because that is potentially a taxpayer up in that area yeah. that needs extradition. Yeah. So that's why we are able to go to these mm-hmm. rescues. But mm-hmm. in this incident where it was, and it was kind of in that weird area where it's not really an auto extradition. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I felt a, a pep thing. Yeah. I always joke that uh, if you live out of an area and your house catches on fire, go roll your car. Go roll your car into your house and say, shit, my house caught on fire because my car is rolling into it and we'll come up there to make sure there's nobody in the car with half of the water that we need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Well, then you, then you do uh, gas uh, cooling. That's right. <laughs> That's what we need on our rescue truck now. Yeah, gas mm-hmm. cooling line. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah, that was... Uh, it's just, it, it falls into a lot of things we always talk about, the, mm-hmm. the decentralized versus centralized command, mm-hmm. um, thinking outside the box. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially you know, when, you, early. when you talk about those early resources, that's the mm-hmm. big one. You know, that, that was going through our heads as we're making our, our plan of attack, if you will, you know, en route. You know, like we're, we're talking about everything that's going to be working against us, uh, and then with that 
changed again when we heard that you guys weren't coming right away and were just ordered to stand by. Mm-hmm. Um, so then our plan B was literally to go mm-hmm. start kicking in the shop door to see what side mm-hmm. the tools were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, so resources are huge. But mm-hmm. yeah, again, think outside the box, call for help early, right? Like you can, you can stand it down. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot easier to say, no, we're good, thanks, it's, it's done. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, nothing would have changed that event, unfortunately, uh, with the outcome of it yep. for that individual. And um, the crew that was on scene that extricated him uh, prior to our arrival did fantastic. And we, were, we had some time to set up everything while they're delivered yep. to us. So. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. Yeah. She's giving me weird hand signals. Gang signs and such. Well, <laughs> we're talking talk about confidence. Really, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, on to our shout outs. Uh, why do we call them shout outs? I don't know. They're not sponsoring us. Ah. I mean, I don't know. Well, we get some stuff. Yeah. Affiliates? Affiliates? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do I say every time I post about it? It's uh, companies that have aligned with us. So uh, whatever that's. Yeah, they agree with everything we say. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do they ever? Most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, first, as always, uh, Modus. Uh, Ash, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, Modus uh, yep. of Snagger Tool fame. Um, they if you've got this far without checking them out um go choke yourself yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um i'm sure you've seen it but uh their snagger tool is great they've got their uh, pocket order organizer uh they've got some soft entry tools some uh, pe- some passive entry um they've got their force entry wedges um hydrant wrench uh a whole bunch of stuff coming out by them some pretty cool swag too which is cool um we have some info on our Facebook and YouTubes. Uh, they've got a lot of stuff on their social media platforms. So check them out there. Um, and if you like what you see, use the discount code DTFF5. It's going to get you 5% off of your order. Cool. Yeah. Todd. Ignition. All right. Ignition USA. Uh, go online and check out the uh, Seattle Sea Rat. Um, another great tool for uh, passive entry, soft entry. Uh, it's kind of the multi-tool of, uh, of yeah, for soft entry. <laughs> I lost what I was going to say. Uh, Jason, they create, he created that tool down in Seattle where they are. Uh, works great for a lot of the um, industrial type of buildings that they mm-hmm. respond to. Uh, we were lucky enough to go down and, and meet them and try it out at a few buildings as well. Um, you can go on their website, Ignition USA, to uh, see some of the video content as well for yep. it. And then we also have some video content of how to use that C-Rat um, on ours, mm-hmm. on our YouTubes. Yes. Um, and so far, our code is still working, isn't it? Yeah. So. Last check, yep. Yeah. It was okay. up. Yeah, and that is um, DTFF 2020? 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to believe we do this without a script. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so well. <laughs> Right, um, <laughs> next up is Stop the Bleed. Um, so Stop the Bleed is a free uh, free course. It was going to free free online course. No, it's a free course that you can take. Um, I think they're starting up again in a lot of places. 
Um, essentially, it's going to teach you the three main uh, main methods of uh, bleeding control, which is going to be uh, direct pressure, wound packing, and the tourniquet. Um, carry a tourniquet on you in your pocket in your gear. Um, it's very important. Um, so is uh, you know so is dressings. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just understanding this this stuff and hopefully getting some good reps in on the um, on the high fidelity sims because that's really where you're gonna you're gonna learn. Um, we actually had a question from uh, one of our listeners, mm. uh, Justin Cunningham. Probably should have asked him if I could say his name, but whatever. <laughs> um, he was asking Can't actually back. <laughs> if there, yeah, <laughs> he was actually asking if there was any stop the bleed near him uh, in Ontario. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know if you have the answer. I haven't looked. No, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. That, but if you go on online, um, there, yeah, on their on their website, they if the instructors are on the ball, <laughs> hopefully mm-hmm. it's on there because there is actually a way where you could put um, that you have a course going and yep. this time. Right. Um, you can also check uh, if you are a uh, uh, paramedic or fire yeah, or, or peace, officer. peace officer. I believe yeah. you can actually just you can kind of like challenge it or something. Or um, just prove that you have taken a course that has a stop the bleed component to it, and they will you can become an instructor and, mm-hmm. and start building your own sort of um, program around mm-hmm. the stop the bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like what we did. Actually, I just found the certificate today when I was cleaning my locker of uh, that one you gave me when oh, good. I was starting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm certified. Yay! <laughs> hey, you know the big takeaway that that though is like I said, it, it's very easy to become an instructor for it. Um, yeah. However, you know just because they say you can teach this content. Yeah. They're going to give you all this free content to give PowerPoints and talk about it. You know, if you don't honestly know what you're talking about <laughs> and <teach> in depth, <laughs> don't teach it. Right. Reach out for help. Learn more about it. Um, like I said, you you want to be very skilled in these um, procedures. You want to know the pathophysiology behind it. You want to know some of the myths. Um and yeah, then you want to make those skills fun. You want to do that high fidelity sim training that we mm-hmm. talked about, and get out there and, and really promote it. Yeah, I think before I, because even though I learned it from you, and then you know I, knew I had a little bit of a background, I wanted to mm-hmm. you know before I taught my first time, I, I definitely um, I studied a lot of uh, mm-hmm. not only stop the bleed, but a lot of the a lot of the other you know TCCC kind of stuff, and made sure I had it mostly down before I started teaching it. And then mm-hmm. I think I taught the first one or two with you before I felt comfortable doing it on my own. And, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And as it should be, I think almost with everything you teach, you shouldn't just like, yeah, yeah, I got this certificate. Now I can teach. I'm a teacher <laughs> today. Yeah. 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 That's unfortunate. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, and, and I think honestly, that is how a lot of, uh, you know, yep. courses are done in the yeah. fire service and in general in life. In life um, you know, people yeah. take these instructor courses and sometimes they're you know, like, Oh, you, your instructor course actually takes less time than the actual course to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Oh, this instructor course is a day. The actual course is a week. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. That makes no sense. So, um, yeah, you know, just definitely like anything else, just understand it before you teach it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Tanner Olson. Yeah. So, Tanner Olson, man. Um, <laughs> a country music uh, band out of West Coast Canada uh, was going to be up at our seminar uh, in 20. 19 how far back is this now 2019 <laughs> it was wasn't it yeah yeah so and then again uh said he would come up with the with, with the band in 2020 that didn't happen now here we are 2021 not happening 
So, you know, 2020, he was going to come. 2020, yeah. We started planning it. Yeah, sorry, canceled in 2020, yes. Yeah, so we had to cancel 2020. Yeah. 2021 um, is also not looking good right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not. It's seminar, spring seminar is probably 99% not going to happen. Gonna happen. I'm, yeah. not, I'm just going to say right now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're here first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is not going to happen this year. Chief uh, Bob was still He's still holding out a little bit of faith. But yeah. uh, I mean, just having to look around and everything. It's uh, yeah, we're we're definitely looking for 2022, yeah. which puts us back. That's right, because that puts us back on our regular rotation. Yeah. Um, so hopefully at that time, um, he and the band has blown up massive, but he's still on us coming up and <laughs> playing <Yeah>. for us <laughs> for the same price. And for the same agreed upon price. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, just uh, what do we got here? When was this released? Um, I don't say here. February though. Uh, Treated me well. New new single came out. Awesome. And it's got a, a pretty wicked Chevy square body as the <laughs> uh, cover art. So uh, it's all about an old pickup and classic country, country song. So Tanner Olson band, check them out. Beauty. No discount right. code. <laughs> uh, no discount code. <laughs> <laughs> um. One other thing we're going to add today is Rescue Essentials. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Rescue Essentials. Um, I had them call me um, the other week there. So I'm going to keep in touch with them. And uh, early discussions, they're going to send us some uh, some swag to kind of try, out, try some of the product and do some product testing <clears throat> and then uh, discuss it on the podcast here as well. So uh, go online, check out Rescue Essentials. Um, that's actually where I purchased all my Stop the Bleed uh, products, my training props, um, IFAX, other medical kits. Uh, they carry tons of stuff on there. And I do have to say, actually, just looking at the tourniquet prices, they're uh, a lot better than some of our other suppliers up here. Right. Um, but yeah, they cover everything. So they, they carry the True Clot, Gerber, Condor, um, Sawyer, 511 stuff, Sam Medical stuff, Tactical Medical Solution gear, Cantera, uh, North American Rescue. Where are they based of, out of? Tons of stuff. <laughs> they are uh, based out of the United States, uh, East Coast. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so they're, they're I love all their, their kits. I've actually bought yeah. a few uh, IFAX from them for my personal yeah. um, truck and kit and stuff as well. They're, they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Rescue Essentials. Check them out. Cool. Nice. All right, and lastly is us. Um, basically, our four main. Uh, Social medias are Facebook, YouTube, which we haven't touched a lot lately because we're still waiting. Well, mm-hmm. n- now it's actually, uh, you know, light after five o'clock. That's it's nice. sweet. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it actually just got warmer this week. Mm-hmm. We actually got above freezing. <laughs> so any moment now we'll be out there. Um, so YouTube, hopefully in the spring we'll be doing some more stuff. Uh, Instagram. I'm not on it, so... I mean, I'm on it, but I don't check it very regularly. I don't know what you're putting on there. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's... uh, um, Instagram's more of our, like, original content stuff, which Mm. right now we're not doing. Right. So, um, it's it's really, really hard. I've been trying to grab some some photos and whatnot from our uh, department training nights, just, you know, some nice, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, photos and such, but because it's dark by by the time that we're training, I mean, there's so much uh, 
like flash flare and shit. So, yeah. um, I always remember halfway near the end. I'm like, yeah, oh, I, ah, I should have grabbed a photo. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, once we start getting into more of the uh, daylight hours, it'll be a lot easier to get some of this stuff out there to you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, once once we can start doing some some more broad training with the, you know, a little bit more or a little bit less uh, COVID restrictions as well, uh, that'll be a big turning point. So yeah. we'll we'll definitely get back on the social media train and then uh tiktok um, i don't know i haven't seen todd dancing in his underwear in <laughs> yeah not yet just like the, the fire helmet and underwear in the hallway <laughs> did we ever talk about that stuff i don't know funny story true story <laughs> we talked, yeah. we'll talk about it one day Mm, yeah, today's probably not that day. day, day. <laughs> and not just me dancing mine around. I'm talking, I'm talking about like the road trips for live fire and all. This yeah. Stuff, yeah, we have talked a little bit about that, I yeah. think. But yeah, guys, uh, yeah. revolves around you doing something crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, there's other people involved usually. Yeah, other people that have to see you in your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh... All right. Well, any more for any more? <laughs> Negative. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we should definitely end on that. <laughs> Modus. <laughs> right. Well, Todd. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Ash. Thanks, everybody. And thanks and good night. And stay safe. Stay a DTFF. <laughs>